Numbers chapter 9, uh, particularly named Numbers because the tribes are numbered at the beginning and the end, and uh, we see the Lord clarifying for the nation of Israel the fact that they're suffering as a result losses over this 40-year period of time and the way that they have not listened to the Lord. We haven't quite gotten to that place where they reject the commandment of the Lord to go into the promised land. In fact, we're going to see in the next chapter that uh, this is where they first depart from Mount Sinai. So a lot of biblical doctrine and teaching uh, has occurred in these chapters and in these books from the time they left in Exodus. And now here in Numbers, uh, we are seeing that uh, they are about to leave Sinai. So Numbers chapter 9, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt. So that ends up being a marker at the beginning of this chapter and the next. Then the Lord said, Let the children of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time on the 14th day of this month at twilight, you shall keep it at its appointed time. According to all its rites and ceremonies, you shall keep it. So Moses told the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover, and they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month at twilight in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did. So this observation of Passover, uh, you know, one of the most significant <clears throat> of celebrations for the nation of Israel because uh, they were slaves in Egypt and suffering so badly under the rule of Pharaoh and uh, all of his, uh, you know, uh, government there. And Moses coming in and the plagues following that final plague uh, becomes referred to as the Passover, because the angel of death passes over all of those who have observed what the Lord has called them to do in the slaughter of the lamb uh, and the putting of the blood uh, on their doorposts and their lentils, uh, forming the sign of the cross on the very doorway of their home, and staying inside their homes as a sign of protection. Uh, you can think of that uh, like each one of those being a tabernacle of worship as each house has obediently done what the Lord did. And, you know, the symbol of Jesus Christ, the slaughtered lamb, the blood upon the doorposts and the lentils, they stay inside that dwelling place as <clears throat> death passes over them. The firstborn of everything dies. Uh, livestock and families and all that is living the firstborn perish except for those that have observed the sacrifice in obedience to the Lord now I know all of the very particulars regarding the feast and the celebration and a lot of times people want to go into an in-depth study of all of those things one for time and two, for the fact that all of those things are reflective of Jesus Christ. Our focus is Jesus Christ. 
you know, the, these things, as the scripture tells us, are a foreshadowing of what was to come. Jesus is the fulfillment of those things. You know, some within Christianity get caught up into a returning to the law by observing all of these details and ordinances. Listen, it's important that you know them. It's important that you study them. But it isn't something that forms our doctrine, our belief, and our function. Jesus Christ is what does that for us. So our focus is him. Here, they're called to observe that. For us, Passover, remember how the Lord saved you, and remember what he saved you from. Now, if you're thinking, well, of course. Do you take time to reflect upon those transitionary days? Where it began, where your heart began to turn to the Lord. How the circumstances began to unfold. The people that started coming into your life. The conversations that you had that led you into this faith. That's a very significant thing to do. To remember where you came from. Sometimes people lose sight of that. Become very legalistic, think of others and speak of others as somehow being worse than them or less than them. Remember the rock from which you were hewn, the scripture tells us. It'll cause you to be very gracious with people when you view them through the lens of what the Lord has brought you through. You to be gracious with them the way the Lord was gracious with you. The way the Lord continues to be gracious with you. Remembering how you were saved and from what you were saved. These people lose sight of that, don't they, right? They're out in the wilderness, and, and suddenly their biggest complaint is, we don't have any garlic, and we don't have any onions. We'd be better off back in Egypt. Are you kidding? Under, under the taskmasters, under the whips, under the death sentence of Egyptian slavery, you'd be better off there? Well, we had garlic and onions. You know. <clears throat> Listen, that's a nice bagel, but it won't save you. You know what I'm saying? Surrendered to Christ. Remember where you came from. Look at verse 6. Now, there were certain men who were defiled by a human corpse. Remember how the vow of the Nazarite was described to us, and if someone died in their midst or they touched a corpse accidentally, they were ceremonially defiled and couldn't participate in the worship. Something has happened here with these individuals where they've come in contact with someone who was dead. And now they have to take this into consideration because they're ceremonially defiled and going to be unable to participate in the worship with the rest of the nation of Israel. So they were defiled by a human corpse so that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and Aaron that day. And those men said to him, we became defiled by a human corpse. Why are we kept from presenting the offering of the Lord at its appointed time among the children of Israel? And Moses said to them, Stand still, that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. I think that's a very significant verse. Because so very often, uh, we tend to have a catalog file 
of answers that we're so ready to present. And maybe the Lord wants to say something else. You know, someone comes to you and says, hey, I've got an issue. And they start talking about their concern and they're looking for a biblical answer for you. And maybe the first thing that pops into mind, you're quick to fire off. I would encourage you to take the time to listen carefully to them. Scripture tells us that the first man seems right until you've heard the second man's story. Tells us that we're foolish to make a judgment without hearing the further part of an issue. You, you want to take into consideration everything you can, including a time of prayer, right? I've, I've been asked by people, hey, would you like to participate in this area of ministry? And, you know, and my thought is, well, of course I would. You know, Sign me up, put me on the list, tell me when to begin. And I've learned over time, that's not always what the Lord wants me to do. You know, slow down and seriously consider what's involved. And you know, he's got other things in mind. Taking the time to hear from the Lord is always very important. Regardless of how well you know the scripture. Regardless of how closely you're walking with the Lord. I mean, this is Moses, right? Who's, who's walking more closely you know, with the Lord here in this room than Moses? You know, if you raised your hand, well, just, you know, come talk to me later, you know. Clearly, Moses is a guy who's an example for the rest of us. And he takes the time to say, we're going to have to inquire of the Lord about this. So look what transpires in verse 9. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, if any of any one of you or your posterity is unclean because of a corpse or is far away on a journey. He may still keep the Lord's Passover on the 14th day of the second month at twilight. They may keep it a month later. And he, they shall eat it with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall um, leave none of it until morning nor break one of its bones. According to all the ordinance of the Passover, they shall keep it. But the man who is clean and is not on a journey and ceases to keep the Passover, that same person shall be cut off from among his people because he did not bring the offering of the Lord at its appointed time that man shall bear his sin. This is a really timely passage for us to be in because essentially what the Lord is saying is that we should all gather together in worship and perform the things that the Lord has laid out for us that are easily understood, right? Hebrews tells us a couple of things. One, we should not forsake the gathering together as some have become accustomed to doing. Secondly, we're also told to render to the Lord the offerings that are due him the praise of our lips. Collectively, we need to come together and worship the Lord in the way that he has prescribed. Right? You know, physically come together. Uh, there are a number of people who have, you know, now I'm not just talking about this church. I'm talking throughout Christianity who never really were strong about being 
obedient to what the Lord called them to do and being in fellowship. And now along comes these circumstances for us. And suddenly it's more comfortable and easier to just stay at home. You know, you don't even have to pick up the study at the same time as everybody. You can sleep in. You can get up. You can watch it later. You know, there, there, are, there are easy excuses for it. Here the Lord says the man who's clean, capable of being there and does not, will be cut off from the congregation. You know who cuts them off? It's the Lord. They do it to themselves by not coming and being obedient to what the Lord has called them to. I, I will never in my life forget the experience of reopening this church and coming back together. I knew how much I was longing for it. I knew how much I wanted to see the rest of you, you know, hug, handshake, you know, all in social distancing. But, you know, we, we were wanting to be together. I had that longing. I had no idea how, how fulfilling it was going to be once we did it. I got emails and text messages and phone calls and conversations uh, with you guys for over a week after that. They just said, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I didn't, I knew I missed it. I didn't know how much I missed it till I did it. We need to be in fellowship. We need to obey the Lord in this. If we are kept from celebrating or worshiping the Lord, uh, you know, with the rest of the congregation, we must set aside our own time to worship in all the same ways, right? They were, you know, he gives that list of what they're supposed to do and the herbs they're supposed to bring and don't break, uh, you know, any of the bones. And the so a month later, they need to observe what the rest of the congregation did, but they need to do it in all the same ways. I don't know how many times I've heard people in my life say, I worship the Lord in my own way. No, you don't. No, that, that, that is called idolatry. And when you're reading through the Old Testament and you see how angry the Lord is with the nation of Israel because they have these altars set up in the high places and the Lord says, that's got to stop. We often think that those were idolatrous locations where they were worshiping other gods. For the most part, there were a few, but for the most part, they were not. They were worshiping Jehovah. They were worshiping the God of Israel, but they were doing it where they wanted to. The Lord had prescribed that they come to Jerusalem and worship the rest of the nation, and they actually had adopted the practice of the pagans, in worshiping Jehovah, you know, get to the highest place in your region. Because in the mind of the pagan, you were closer to God. You went up on the mountain, you got closer to heaven and you would worship it. So now the we would say Christians were going up on the mountaintops and worshiping the Lord. And the Lord is saying, no, I want you down in the valley at Jerusalem. When you read in the scripture, 
and it over and over again says, let us go up to Jerusalem. Let us go up to Jerusalem. Let us go up to Jerusalem. It's so interesting. I've done quite a few studies in the geography. Very often when they say that, they're at a higher location. They have to go down to Jerusalem in order to go up to meeting God. And that's literally what they meant. Let us go up to Jerusalem was the idea of let's go to a spiritually elevated place. How do you do that? Through obedience. By doing what the Lord has prescribed. Not what you like, not what's comfortable for you, what the Lord has prescribed. Consider chapter 9 verse 14. It says, and if a stranger dwells among you, and would keep the Lord's Passover. He must do according to the rite of the Passover and according to its ceremonies. You shall have one ordinance, both for the stranger and the native of the land. It's interesting to me to hear people today talking about the American Constitution and the American borders and saying that, you know, the nation of Israel and the Bible are the example because they welcomed the foreigner and the stranger. And if you're a Christian and you're a believer, then you should be doing the same things that the scripture said. So shame on you, American, who isn't doing that. Well, look, <clears throat> that's actually another whole discussion. The, the borders and, uh, you know, whether we're going to allow people in the way that we currently have. It's another whole discussion. The discussion taken from here about allowing the strangers in says when they come in, they have to worship your God the way that your God has said you have to be worshipped. If we're going to allow people in biblically, the first thing we're going to have to do is decide who is the God of this country. That's the first thing we're going to have to decide because there is a grievous error that has been established through the use of the Constitution, which allows, because the Constitution doesn't endorse it, but it allows for all of the other religions to be as equal to Christianity. So as a result, when you embrace Eastern mysticism and you bring the teachings of the gurus in here, and thereby diminish and deteriorate the teachings of our Savior, and eventually come to the place where you reject the God of the Bible, now we're watching our world burn, literally. All around us. What we're seeing on the evening news is the result of rejecting the God who made this nation great. Make, make America great again? That doesn't have anything to do with money. Zero. The God of this nation is not money, nor is it materialism. We could be impoverished people, have limited natural resources, right? We could be oil dependent upon other nations. If we worshipped Jesus Christ, if we worshipped Jesus Christ, we would be rich. We would be prosperous spiritually, spiritually. I mean, there are big problems that we can have, you know, in discussion regarding all of those politics. But in regard to those that come into the land, they have to observe the Passover the same as those who 
rule this land. They have to follow it in obedience. Look at verse 15. Now on the day that the tabernacle was raised up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony from evening until morning. It was above the tabernacle like the appearance of fire. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, after that the children of Israel would journey. And in the place where the cloud settled, there the children of Israel would pitch their tents. At the command of the Lord, <clears throat> the children of Israel would journey. At the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle, they remained encamped. Even when the cloud continued long, many days above the tabernacle, the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not journey. So it was when the cloud was above the tabernacle a few days, according to the command of the Lord, they would remain encamped. And according to the command of the Lord, they would journey. So it was when the cloud remained only from evening until morning. When the cloud was taken up in the morning, then they would journey, whether by day or by night. Whenever the cloud was taken up, they would journey. Whether it was two days, a month, or a year, that cloud remained above the tabernacle. The children of Israel would remain encamped and not journey. And when it was taken up, they would journey. At the command of the Lord, they remained encamped. At the command of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. There's several things to notice and examine there. <clears throat> the first thing, it's not written within it, but it's understood is these people had to be ready to move all the time. Right? And the longer that the cloud stayed above the tabernacle, the more they would settle in. Once they've settled in, oh, now the cloud lifts and you're thinking we have been here a year you know, why do we need to move? Now, Now, if you're thinking, like, why move at all? Why stay at all? Well, one, the relationship with the Lord and the history that's going on. But two, the uh, cloud during the day was shadow, shade, in the desert. That's, that's critical if you're in the desert. The scripture tells us they were shaded by the cloud, right? Where are you going to pitch your tent? Out in the blazing sun? No, you're going to move your tent underneath the shadow of that cloud. It also tells us that the fire that was, it was over the whole camp. It says it was over the tabernacle. That tells them, put the tabernacle right here. They do so, but then we're told that the fire... And the cloud overshadowed the entire camp. So, four million people, that's a really big cloud. <clears throat> that's a really big pillar of fire. Okay? <clears throat> Scripture tells us that the fire provided them warmth. If you've experienced the evenings in the desert, it can get extremely cold in the desert. Especially when you've gone from the intensity of Middle Eastern heat down to crystal clear sky in the open desert where all of that is gone. Very cold at night. So, coolness 
as much as it could provide in the day, heat and illumination. There were enemies that pursued them throughout their travels and attacked them and killed them. If you've got sort of a low-glow streetlight effect on all the time over your camp, it provides protection. I mean, your enemies are literally going to say, <clears throat> we're not going to bother. They can see us coming. You know, and fire does that wonderful thing of providing that orangish red, which doesn't interfere with your night vision. You know, so you can see very well at night. God provided them with shade during the day, provided them with heat at night and vision in the darkness. Here's a couple of thoughts regarding that. James chapter 4, looking at verse 7, the Lord said, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near, here's the punchline, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Draw near to God. Of course they're going to camp near the tabernacle. Because it provides shade, and it provides warmth, and it provides illumination. Well, why would you camp anywhere else? You'd be a fool to camp outside the umbrella of that protection that the Lord is providing. I hope you understand this spiritual parallel. That what the Lord provides for you in this life as a believer, you'd be silly to move yourself out from underneath it. Stay under the protection of the Lord. Think about Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Staying under the protection of Jesus. Yes, it requires obedience. Yes, there are requirements within it, but it's so much better than going back to Egypt or even just moving out from underneath, as I described, that umbrella of protection. There you have to experience the harshness of the noonday sun. You have to experience the freezing cold of the middle of the night. Stay in the place where God is providing his guidance and protection. Now, in Numbers chapter 10, at verse 1, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Make two silver trumpets for yourself. You shall make them of hammered work. You shall use them for calming the congregation and for directing the movement of the camps. Now, we're going to talk about the fact, you guys, that there are actually, <clears throat> biblically, two trumpets of the Lord. Two trumpets of the Lord. Uh, there's a lot of discussion. Um, you know where I'm going to go with this, most of you, regarding the last trumpet of the Lord that calls us together. And we'll look at those passages together. But <clears throat> there's a lot of talk regarding the trumpets that are contained in the book of Revelation. And I just want to be really clear. The Lord tells us, right, you have the scrolls, you have the bowls, and you have the trumpets that are all the judgments of the Lord. There are some that actually think that those are the same occurrences, and what's happening is we're just getting different descriptions of them in each one of those settings. <clears throat> I bring it up because I've had long conversations with people that want to insist 
that the last trumpet of the Lord we're going to experience that calls us up into his presence is that last trumpet of the angel, which is sounded. And I want to be very clear. <clears throat> Those are trumpets of angels. There are two trumpets of the Lord. The first one has actually already been heard. It was heard at Mount Sinai when the Lord called all of these people together and they first received the law. Moses went up and received the law and it tells us there was a massive, long, very loud trumpet blast that shook them until they actually asked Moses to go up and hear from the Lord and let us stay down here because if we have to hear any more of this, it's going to kill us. It gathered them together to receive the law. The second trumpet that we hear in the scripture is in the book of Revelation. John, hearing the revelation from the Lord and recording it for us, hears a voice like a trumpet calling him up into heaven. And it says that he was called to the day of the Lord, where he then saw all of the tribulation being folded out upon the earth. The two trumpets gather God's people together at Mount Sinai, and then they gather God's people together in his presence. Old Testament, New Testament. Second trumpet's better. So, <clears throat> looking at this a little bit, we have these two silver trumpets described here. You shall make them of hammered work. You shall use them for calling the congregation and for directing the movement of the camps. When they blow both of them, all the congregation shall gather before you at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. But if they blow only one, then the leaders and the heads of the divisions of Israel shall gather to you. When you sound the advance, the camps that lie on the east side shall then begin their journey. We'll see that's Judah first. When you sound the advance the second time, then the camps that lie on the south side shall begin their journey. They shall sound the call for them to begin their journey. And when the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow, but not sound the advance. The sons of Aaron, the priest, shall blow the trumpets, and these shall be to you an ordinance forever throughout your generations. So, you have the different calls sounded upon the trumpet. I immediately think of what Paul is saying uh, regarding speaking in tongues and how if there's not a distinction in the sound, how will anybody know what they're supposed to be doing? So take that home and dwell on it for a while, right? If there's not a distinction in the sound of speaking in tongues, how's anybody going to know what they're supposed to do with that? Okay? And again, I just want to be clear this is a Pentecostal church. We do believe in the baptism of the Spirit. I am baptized in the Spirit. I do personally speak in tongues. You've got questions about that, love to talk to you about it and share it with you. You'll notice I don't ever do it here in the congregation, right? Because Paul specifically said, I'd rather speak five words that you understand than tens of thousands that you have no clue what I'm saying. There needs to be a distinction in the sound so you will understand so enough about that for the moment these trumpets sound in different ways that give different commands and signals to the congregation 
and to the leadership. There are distinctions of sound. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Remember that two-word statement, and maybe you even want to underline caught up, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. People say, rapture isn't even in the Bible. That's a word that is made up, okay? Well, the word was harpazo, okay? Which is why I asked you to underline caught up. The word harpazo means to snatch away suddenly with violent force, okay? So if you read it that way, right? Then we who are alive and remain shall be snatched away with violent force together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That puts it in a different perspective. Okay? The word harpazo was later translated to become the word raptus, which translated into English became the word rapture. So the word rapture is in the scripture. It's just not translated as rapture. It's translated as caught up. The church is going to be caught up. The only argument and discussion at that point is when. Right? Before the rapture, in, or before the tribulation rather, in the middle of the tribulation or at the end of the tribulation. You should know the verse where Jesus tells us, no man will know the hour nor the day. Okay, we know when the tribulation is going to begin once it's begun because the Antichrist will be revealed and you'll be able to say, there he is. That's the guy. He's now ruling the whole world. I didn't know him, but now he's, he's been made the world leader. So therefore, I know he is the Antichrist. So whenever he started his reign, that's where you can back up and hit your stopwatch right there. Because the world's got seven years at that point. So now you know where the middle of the tribulation is going to occur. And you also know where the end of the tribulation is going to occur. So if you're in that, right, church or unbeliever, if you're in that and you suddenly realize that's the Antichrist, now you know when the rapture is going to happen. Because if you're a mid-trib person, then you know where the middle of the tribulation is based upon that man taking his power. Or if you're a post-tribulation, then you know where the end is. You think it's going to be any easier to resist your sinfulness then? And it's, oh, of course it will be. I'll see all of that junk going on. I won't want No, you'll have the same temptations. In fact, right, you read and their skin's burning and the sun's growing intense and the locusts and the hail and they would not repent of their sins. And they would not repent of their sins. And they would not repent of their sins. And you're reading it thinking, what is wrong with these people? Same thing that's wrong with you. Your sinfulness, your flesh has its desires and it must be conquered. You can conquer it in Christ. 
with his Holy Spirit and his word, you can conquer that in Christ. So, the tribulation is coming. We're dwelling on the issue of the trumpets. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52 says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trump will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So this was for the calling of the congregation together, right? The trumpets that Moses is telling them to make, to call the congregation of believers together. That's what happened at Sinai, and it's what we're waiting for right now. To hear that trumpet blast, to call us all together to be in the presence of the Lord. The leadership of the congregation will call for the gathering and the movement of the assembly according to Numbers chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. In verse 9, when you go to war in your hand, excuse me, in your hand, in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets and you will be remembered before the Lord your God. And you will be saved from your enemies also in the day of your gladness in your appointed feasts at the beginning of the month. You shall blow the trumpets over the burnt offering and over the sacrifices and over the peace offering. And they shall be a memorial for you before your God. I am the Lord. And if you're not familiar with it, you'll notice there the word Lord is in all capitals. That is the name of God, Y-H-W-H, -H, improperly translated Jehovah, but it is the name of God, the Father. Uh, you could say Yahweh uh, as a more accurate understanding of the name of God. I am the Lord, your God. And that's true today. As much as Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and Yahweh is God. They are all one in the same. If you struggle to understand the Trinity, uh, then certainly take the time to talk with me about those things. Also, the thing that should be fought by God's people and the things that should be celebrated by God's people are to be brought to the attention of God's people by God. His word and the leadership that listens to God's word. Do you hear what I'm saying in that? Because there's a whole bunch of people within Christianity that are listening to the opinions of the ungodly world. And they're saying, oh, we shouldn't be fighting about this or that. We shouldn't be getting involved in this or that. And when you ask them why, what they'll say is, that's what everybody thinks. It really doesn't matter what everybody thinks. Right? Here in this setting... It doesn't matter if everybody has gotten very comfortable with the fact that that tabernacle stays right there and that cloud stays right there and we don't want to go fight anybody. Well, guess what? God has spoken to the leadership and the trumpet has sounded and it's time to move. It's time to go to war. It's time to go to action or it's time to celebrate. Both the call to action and the call to worship and celebration are to come from the Lord. How do, we, how do I know when the Lord is speaking? 
How do I know his word will speak to you? That's the most prominent way. You say, well, I don't hear him. Are you in the word? That's going to be my immediate reaction is, are you in the word? I had a number of things I was dealing with in regard to this passage and a number of things that I was going to say. I'm, I'm saying them now. I uh, had a conversation last night about uh, hearing from the Lord. When do we hear from the Lord? How do we know when we've heard from the Lord? And the summary of what I said, right, was you've all heard it many times before. One, the Lord's going to speak to you from the word. Two, he'll speak to you in prayer. If you'll listen, right, that's not just you delivering to him your list. If you'll take the time to listen, he'll also deliver his list to you. He'll also speak to you from the congregation, the body of Christ, being around other Christians. He'll speak to you when you worship, as you're praising the Lord and singing to the Lord. He'll also speak to you when you're sharing your faith with other people. The, the prominent ways are from his word, in prayer, and through fellowship. That's how you're going to hear very clearly from him. If you're isolating yourself away from those things, of course you're going to have a hard time hearing from the Lord. This is how he speaks. If you think I'm misappropriating that, we're hearing it right here from his word. These men are going to be in the presence of the Lord, reading the word daily, ministering before the Lord. They're going to hear from the Lord, and they're going to declare that to the congregation of Israel. There's a leadership that's put in place for the benefit of the people. So I leave my house this morning, and I've got this stereo that my wife gave me in my truck. And I'm trying to listen and change the settings, because whenever I try to listen to someone that teaches, the bass is way too strong, and I, it just it rumbles too much. I can't stand to listen. So I'm, I'm trying to adjust the bass out of that. And there's a preacher on the radio, who I'm not particularly fond of. He's said and done some things over the year that are kind of great on me, but, you know, he's a child of God. He's a servant of the Lord. And so I, I spend the time, because his voice is just right, regarding that bass tone that I want to get rid of. I spend the time to listen to him. Not because I enjoy his teaching, because I want to get rid of the bass in my stereo. I'm tuning the bass up. And that man confirmed every single thing that I had been debating about what to share this morning. Why? Because he's a child of God. Again, I'm not particularly fond of him. I never go, oh, there he is. Let's stop and listen to him. But this morning... Much of what I'm saying to you right now was confirmed by that servant of God in my life, in my hearing, in my ears, including the fact that he used three of the verses that I'm using this morning. I already had them written down in my notes. And he uses three. He's teaching an entirely different subject. An entirely different subject, and he's using these three. And and literally, you know, I'm coming down over Bridge Hill thinking, okay, Lord, gotcha. <laughs> I'll shut my mouth and do what I'm supposed to do. The confirmation that comes, the way that we hear from the Lord, the way that he's faithful to speak to us, make sure that you're listening to the right sources. 
Now, it came to pass, verse 11, on the 20th day of the second month, in the second year, that the clown was taken up from above the tabernacle of testimony. And the children of Israel set out from the wilderness of Sinai on their journeys. Now, before we move on, understand, read it again with me. It came to pass on the 20th day of the second month in the second year. Second year since they left Egypt. They've been at Mount Sinai receiving all of this. There's been very little time and very little distance. They've come to this place and now they've received all that. So when you think back across what we studied uh, from Exodus, you know, Leviticus, and now we're in numbers, there's a lot of stuff that has transpired. And now they're finally moving. They're finally moving on. We're too, uh, we're, we're too quick to move, you know, very often. God says, hey, I want you to do such and such. And we're like off and running without staying and listening for any directions. Stay, stay in that place and hear the fullness of the two years. <laughs> two minutes is too long. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe you've experienced enough failure to realize that every time you blasted out onto the circumstances, it was too early. Slow down. Listen to the Lord. Hear what he has to say. Let him fulfill those things in your life and then move when he tells you to move. So now they're on their journeys and the clouds settled down in the wilderness of Paran. So they started out from, uh, for the first time according to the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. The standard of the camp of the children of Judah set out first according to their armies. Over their army was Nashon, the son of Minadab. Over the army of the tribe of the children of Issachar was Nathaniel, the son of Zuar. Over the army of the tribe of the children of Zebulun was Elib, the son of Helon. So Judah leads out. And it's a beautiful picture of Christ going ahead of all of our circumstances. The plan and his movement was in place before the foundations of the world, according to the scriptures. You see in verse 17, then the tabernacle was taken down. The sons of Gershon and the sons of Merari set out carrying the tabernacle. Now listen, if you're thinking like just without studying this, oh, shouldn't the tabernacle have gone first? The tabernacle's in the middle of the camp. Okay? And Judah is the leader of the entire nation, and they're the warriors of the nation. So push them into whatever problems need to be dealt with that might be ahead of them, and then take the tabernacle in the midst so that even in their movement, the tabernacle is moving in the middle of their movement so that they can arrive there safely. The, tab the tabernacle is taken down. Gershon, the sons of Merari, set out carrying the tabernacle and the standard of the camp of Reuben set out according to their armies. Over their army was Eleazar, the son of Shirda. Over the army of the tribe of the children of Simeon was, you can name your kids after all these things I'm mispronouncing, Shulamiel, the son of that guy. And over the army of the tribe of the children of Gad was Elisaph, the son of Duel. 
Then the Kohathites set out carrying the holy things. The tabernacle would be prepared for their arrival. The tabernacle would be prepared for their arrival. The security force goes first. The tabernacle arrives behind them. And that's the first thing to get set up is the center of worship. So that as the rest of the nation arrives... They're able to see the center of worship and then rest in the center, right? Because the shade is going to be there and the warmth and the illumination and protection is going to be there. And the standard of the camp of the children of Ephraim set out according to their armies. Over their army was Elisham, the son of Imahud, over the army of the tribe of the children of Manasseh was Gamaliel, the son of Pedhuzer. Over the army of the tribe of the children of Benjamin was Aminadan, the son of Gibeon. Then the standard of the camps of the children of Dan, the rear guard of all the camps set out according to their armies. Dan, the rear guard over all the camps. You know, when we're last we can often feel like we're being left behind. When everybody else gets opportunities out ahead of us and glory and recognition and status and position. How about this, you guys? If you're the tribe of Dan, your job is to protect the weakest portion of the nation of Israel from the attacks that are the most loathsome. They come from behind. The, they, they come after the weak, and they come from behind. And the job of the tribe of Dan is to protect them. And that becomes very critical, right? Those of you that know the story of Joshua, Joshua was having to fight in amongst their ranks because they were constantly being attacked on their rear guard. Dan is very significant. You know, we see here throughout Dan's history that sort of complaint of being last and left out. And they're critical. How about this, you guys? When you're the last one out, and there's been a whole bunch of people ahead of you, and they leave, what do you find? Everything they forgot. So the tribe of Dan is picking up along the way, too. How many times do you think they showed up inside the camp of Israel and said, Whose sandal is this? It doesn't feel all that important until you have to live on the hot sands of the desert without a sandal. Okay, The tribe of Dan becomes extremely significant. They're way undervalued. Way undervalued. But they are so significant to the nation of Israel. Who do you think takes notice of that? Certainly God does. And certainly God understood who they were as a people when he put them last, right? Think about the New Testament perspective, right? The last will be first. We can look at Dan. Oh, Jesus, Dan, tribe, just wonderful guards, went out ahead of everybody. They just, you know, prepare the way. Dan, you know, you almost wonder about where are they? There are those that actually say, you know, the lost tribes. <laughs> no, maybe they're just still catching up. You know what I'm saying? 
picking up your junk that you left behind. That time when you stopped and tied your sneaker and you know left your wallet right there. Maybe they're the ones coming behind to provide that protection. That are selflessly so. Look around in the congregation. You may find those who spiritually are of the tribe of Dan. If you feel like you're neglected and forgotten, maybe not. Right? Do you, do you look for those that are neglected and forgotten because you identify with that? Right? The sheep, right? Leaving the 99 to go find the one. Consider how the Lord might be speaking to you here. Drop down to verse 28. Thus was the order of march of the children of Israel according to their armies when they began their journey. So this is how the Lord had them depart. In verse 29, now Moses said to Hobab, the son of Ruel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law. Now, if you're saying, wait a minute, I thought his name was Jethro. Yes, it is. Both. Depends on which group of people you're talking to, the Midianites or the Israeli people. So here, <coughs> Ruel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, was setting out for the place of which the Lord said, I will give to you. Come with us, and we will treat you well, as the Lord has promised good things to Israel. Boy, I hope that's your message. I hope that's your message to the world around you. Come with us. We're waiting for a trumpet blast. Come with us. Come experience the goodness of the Lord. Come experience the goodness that he's provided for me. Look at me. Look at my life. Look at what the Lord has done for my life. Come and experience the same thing in your life. This is uh, an interesting passage. It's argued over a little bit. He said to him, I will not go, but I will depart to my own land and to my relatives. So Moses said, please do not leave. Inasmuch as you know how we are to camp in the wilderness, and you can be our eyes. Now listen. The critics often say Moses wasn't supposed to rely upon the guidance of his father-in-law. Okay? He's not. Right? Because if Ruel says, hey, let's head over here to the east, but the cloud is headed north, guess what direction Moses is going? Right? The guidance is from the Lord. They're not used to living in the desert. Ruel is. Jethro is. And all he's saying is, show us how to camp. We don't know how to do any of this. You know? Two years, yeah, but they've been in one spot, and, and they've been ca being cared for by the Lord. Now they got to move through. You know, He's going to be able to say to them, we, we don't want to travel that way. <laughs> There's bad people over there. And that literally becomes some of the advice. So here, go with us. Experience the blessing of the Lord and show us how to camp in the wilderness. And you can be our eyes. And it shall be, if you go with us indeed, it shall be. That whatever good the Lord will do to us, the same will be to you. That is our message, right? The good news, the goodness of our Heavenly Father, that's what we're sharing with people. Verse 33, So they departed from the mountain of the Lord on a journey of three days, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them for three days' journey to search out a resting place for them. The cloud of the Lord was above them by, by day when they went out of the camp. Now, just to remind you, uh, all of these people walking 
at a leisurely clip. It's 11 days from where they came out of the Red Sea to the Jordan River where they're supposed to cross. And instead, 40 years of wandering. Why? Rebellion. Rebellion. Well, does the prophet Samuel say later that rebellion is equal to witchcraft. Stubbornness is the same as idolatry. It's very destructive in our lives, and we want to be very careful about it. Our culture venerates it. Looks at rebellion and stubbornness like it's a virtue. Oh, it is not. Right? Benjamin Franklin said, Experience is a dear teacher. And we go, isn't that sweet? No. What he said was, Experience is a very expensive teacher. That's what he meant. A dear teacher? Uh, that isn't our idea of dear. It's the idea of costly. You don't want to have to learn through 40 years of grinding it out. If you can walk 11 days across the desert, cross the Jordan River, and conquer the armies, why wouldn't you? You know what I'm saying? Instead, they've got to go through all of this grueling effect. They just covered three days. right? They already covered days of journey to get to Sinai. Now they've covered three days from Sinai. How, how close are they to victory? Eh, no, they got 40 years before you know, they finished this whole task. Departed, went three days. Verse 35, so it was, whenever the ark so when, whenever the ark set out, that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee from you. New Testament, Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says, What shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? And when they go to move... There's nothing that stands in the way of the Lord. All you're doing is following behind. That's all you're doing. I see the Lord open opportunities, and I see people shrink back because they look at how difficult and how treacherous what, ahead, what is ahead of them is. Look, I'm not saying, like they, you know, you try to promote it, go, run, do. And then they get that idea of, like, look how bad. It, no, it is that bad. It's probably way worse than what you can see from here. The issue is, has God opened the opportunity? Is he going before you? If he's going before you, nothing's going to stop you. If God is for you, who could be against you? And when I rested, he said, return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel. The invitation of Lord, come back to us. You're the one who moved and settled into this place, and now we've come under that. Please, Lord, come and be upon us. Come and be with us. And there's an occasion in Jesus' ministry where Jesus says some very hard things to people who are following him, and, and there's a massive amount of them. And it even says, and many of his disciples departed. Okay? You shouldn't think of the disciples as just being 12. Because once Jesus has been 
crucified, buried, resurrected, 40 days of ministry, and then ascends into the heavens, uh, Peter understands that Psalm 109 verse 8 is telling them that there's going to be a replacement for Judas who had killed himself. So they make the decision we should take a vote and figure out who that's supposed to be, which ends up being wrong because Paul ends up being the one that Jesus Christ chooses to replace Judas. But they at least figured the scripture out and they take a vote. And there we are told that they take the vote from amongst 120 people who had been with Jesus throughout his entire ministry. So there were 120 followers that never departed, that were always there experiencing Jesus' ministry. There were multitudes, many thousands, that followed him at different times. There were the 12 apostles that he chose. Jesus recognized people are following him for free lunch. He just fed 5,000 people. And he confronts them the next day because they all show up and act like, we're here because you're an awesome teacher. And he says, no, you're here because you got free lunch yesterday. And they say, no, that's a terrible accusation. We're here because you're awesome. He said, well, if you're going to hang out today, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's the menu for this afternoon's lunch. And they were like, sick, and they all left. And a huge number of his disciples left and stopped following him at that point. And Jesus asked the twelve, do you guys want to leave also? John 6 verse 68, but Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else are these people in the desert going to go? Right? Maybe they can see some oasis way over there. <laughs> but the tabernacle's right here, and the shade is right here, and the manna falls down right here, and the water comes out of the ground right there. What we need is right here where the tabernacle is. Oh, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about us. And if you think I'm talking about this place, right? You're the tabernacle, and you're the tabernacle, and you're the tabernacle. This is the tabernacle, us. This is where we find what we need. This is where the food is. This is where the water is. This is where the shade and the rest is. This is where the warmth and the security is. Is in the midst of the congregation. Let the Lord minister to you in his midst. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Father God, we thank you very much. Your love, your grace, your work in our lives, please continue to work in our hearts and minds. Guide us as your children. Help us to follow you and to be obedient to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.